beautiful, beautiful song to usher us into the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen and amen. Brother Isaac, Brother Daniel's a live stream still. It's up? Good. Okay. Do apologize to those watching online. We had the blue screen of death just a minute ago. Gotta love computers. But uh, we're back up and running. So hallelujah for all of you watching. We're praying for you. We love you. Many of you are out tonight uh, sick and we are holding you up in prayer. And if if it cut out while we were praying, we want you to know we did pray for you in Jesus' name. So amen. You can be seated. God bless you. And uh, I know Pastor Lucas has already alluded to, mentioned um, this coming Sunday, Christmas Eve service. Um, it'll be just 1030. There will not be an 1130 service. So just the 1030 service. So be here. There will be some worship and music and, of course, some preaching. So I uh, look forward to hearing good reports. Please pray for my wife and I. We will be traveling and others I know, of course, as well. And uh, some have traveled and are back. So we'll just keep everyone in our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, at this time, we'll dismiss our children and our students and God bless our staff. Appreciate all their help tonight. Why don't we give them a great big hand, all of our staff. They work hard, our youth staff and student ministries, and children's ministries. And we appreciate their hard work and their labor of love. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you join me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5? And uh, we're going to read... Uh, some verses here, verses 8 through 11 together, uh, as we open up our hearts and begin to study the word of the Lord tonight. Amen. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. <clears throat> be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a little while, excuse me, a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And for just a few moments here, I want to teach and preach some of you know what that means. I'm going to treach on steadfast resistance. Amen. Steadfast resistance. Let's pray together in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you. This is your church, not mine. And I pray right now that your word would work to do its great accomplishment tonight of healing and saving and delivering. It is anointed and appointed for this very moment. And on the authority of your word, I bind every spirit of hindrance, and I loose your anointing to fill this place, Lord Jesus. For without you, I am nothing. So let there be a demonstration of your spirit and power. Lord, confirm your word with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh, saying only what you want, nothing more or less. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. History is filled with... Those who steadfastly resisted their enemies. 
we could spend the entirety of the next 45 minutes discussing various wars and battles uh, where great insurmountable odds uh, were accomplished by smaller armies and, and lesser uh, individuals. And the Bible includes some of this history as well as world history. Textbooks record some of the various things that have happened across the centuries. The scriptures contain accounts of those who faced impossible odds and stood fast, resisting faithfully. Possibly the most told account is the one of David and Goliath. I'm sure uh, most of you, if not all of you, have heard that. And uh, many uh, have even used that in other settings. Of course, this young man, David, comes along with a cause greater than his own life. Runs toward Goliath in the name of the Lord. And God gave him the victory. Countless stories abound. Those in battle facing insurmountable odds, but succeeding against their enemies. So whether you select the Bible, which is the best, or history, you can do what David did and encourage yourself in the Lord and stand strong against the enemy of your soul. Now I know tonight I am teaching to some people that want to overcome and remain steadfast. I remember when I worked down at Hampton Inn after we first moved here a few years ago, I was talking to one of my coworkers. And, of course, he knew I was a pastor and all this. And uh, so I started telling him, at the time, we had Sunday morning and Sunday night services. And, of course, Wednesday night. And he says, you go to church twice on Sunday? I'm like, yeah, and Wednesday as well. He goes, three times a week? Really? It's just, it was a foreign concept to him that I would, you know, give three times during the week to come to the house of the Lord. I said, well, we also have prayer meetings and and fellowship groups and other things too. He goes, wow, you're really committed to this church stuff, aren't you? Like, well, it's my life. It's who I am. Amen. But I know tonight I'm teaching to some people that, you know, you could have had other things to do on a Wednesday night, but you said, I'm going to come. So I know you want to be overcomers. I know you want to be uh, steadfast resistors, if you will, tonight. I know I'm preaching and teaching to some people that want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't think you'd be here otherwise if you didn't. So let's take a deep dive into 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11 and discover how we can overcome the enemy. But let us remember that most of that victory has already been won for us. Why, why do I say that? Well, in the book of Revelation, verse, chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And they overcame him, him being the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. God's part is the blood of the Lamb. Satan is already defeated. God is the victor. He destroyed the power of sin over us. So what is our part? Our part is to endure faithfully, to steadfastly resist the devil by the word of our testimony. That's both what we say, but also what we do. It's who we are. So, the first thing that the Scripture teaches us to do is to be sober and vigilant. 
1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I am told from what I have studied in, in various encyclopedias that a lion that roars, that roams about, is usually a toothless lion. Well, if that's true, he's just trying to roar to scare you and to hopefully his, his fear will cause you to trip and he might be able to gum you to death. Well, if that, again, if that's true, <laughs> Satan's just trying to roar and act like he's bigger than what he is. C.S. Lewis once suggested that the two mistakes Christians make in talking about Satan is that we either joke about him, which it may have sounded like I was just doing, or we ignore him altogether. And society certainly has done that. It's a joke. Have, you, have anybody ever seen, quote-unquote, the pictures of Satan? He's in a red suit and a pitchfork and horns. That's not Satan, by the way. You've probably seen comic strips that, that you know, portray him to be uh, you know, the, the, the warden in hell. And he, you know, that's not true either. Scripture says he's going to be bound in chains of torment forever. According to this verse, 1 Peter 5, 8, we don't have an option to either joke about it or to ignore the reality. In essence, this verse is saying, wake up! Pay attention! There's a spiritual battle on. It's a battle for your soul. We need to know the enemy and his characteristics and understand that this is a life or death war. Now, biblically, Satan or the devil, uh, which simply means the slanderer, is described as the prince of this world, the prince and power of the air. His residence is on this earth, and he roams about. That's what we see in Job. God says, where you been? I've been roaming to and fro, right? We see from this verse, he, you know, roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so it would appear that, that this then is territory that he has under his control. But whatever power Satan has is either by our fear of him or God's allowance of his working. He told Job, or in Job, we, we, we see that God told Satan, you can touch Job's things, but not him. After that didn't work, you can touch Job, but not his soul. With each barrier uh, raised, if you will, to allow Satan to attack, there was still one left up against Satan. He, he worked on a short leash. So while he does have power, it's either granted by God or by our fear of him. In other words, if we know who we are through Christ, we're victorious. Yes, amen. It doesn't change the fact of being sober and vigilant. It just means if we know who we are, then we can steadfastly resist him. Hallelujah. His main purpose, I would sum it up as this. Satan's purpose is to make you forget yours. How many of you are uh, young enough, old enough, <clears throat> to remember weapons of mass destruction, WMDs, right? You know, okay? All that debacle. Well, Satan has WMDs. They're weapons of mass distraction. 
He wants to distract us from our purpose. He wants to divide the church. Amen. I'm not trying to preach about Satan tonight. I'm not trying to glorify him in any way. What I'm trying to show you is there is a devil, and we have to be aware of his devices. We also have to be aware of those evil spirits that are attached to some of the things that we watch, read, listen to, participate in. Kind of a good reason why we're going on a media fast in next month, right? Hey, somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say, I really need this media fast. That's what I thought. So do I. <laughs> amen. We need to detox a little bit and, and make sure that we're plugged into this. Amen, amen, amen. So the caution here is we need to be sober and vigilant. Okay? In other words, sober-minded. We know what that word means. It, it, it does imply a sense of sober related to drugs, alcohol, or whatever. But it, it's that sober-mindedness. Vigilant, of course, that, that resolute mindset that says... I'm standing firm in the Word of God. Okay? Think of it this way. If I'm looking out for my own sake, and you're looking out for your sake, and we're together, we're kind of watching each other's backs in some sense. And we need each other. Amen? Amen. I've said before, and it bears repeating, one of Satan's characteristics is that he's the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. Day and night, he goes up to the Lord to accuse us. So be careful if you accuse other people. Because you begin, if you do, you begin aligning yourself with Satan. Be careful of that spirit. Be careful of the, the residue that comes from what Satan is and does. Fear, hatred. Manipulation, control, all of these things, okay? Beware of that. <clears throat> could it be that when Peter writes this verse, be sober, be vigilant because you're adversary of the devil, could it be that when the Holy Spirit prompts him to write this verse, that he remembers the night that he denied the Lord three times? That night, Peter was neither sober nor vigilant. And Satan was able to cause him to deny Jesus. If indeed he did recall that night, then it's also possible that Peter might have wrote this verse with an extra sense of passion because he had experienced what it felt like to not be sober and vigilant. He didn't want others to make the same mistake he did. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody that you don't want your children or your friends or others to go through what you went through. Amen. And so you can imagine as Peter's writing this, oh, church, hear me. And, and whether he preached it at an actual church assembly and or if he could today, I think we would hear Peter saying, don't do what I did. Don't make that mistake. Be sober. Be vigilant. Satan is out there. He wants to distract you. He wants to divide you. Don't let it happen. 
Now we know, of course, Jesus had prophesied. Peter had a certain sense of arrogance. I'm not going to leave you. I'm I'm with you to the end. And Jesus said, I wish that were true, Peter. But this very night, you're going to deny me three times. So in some sense, it was prophesied. But there's another reason why it happened. Mark chapter 14, verse 54, tells us that Peter followed Jesus afar off. Can I tell you, the further you get from Jesus, the easier it is to deny him. I start, you know, missing prayer or missing church, Pastor Lucas. It becomes easier the next time. I missed prayer this time. I can miss prayer that time. I miss church this time. I can miss church that time. I can just back away, back away, back away. And suddenly, whoa, I'm denying him. What happened? You were following him afar off. We must realize that being sober and being vigilant is up to us. He doesn't say, come to the altar and be anointed so that you're sober or vigilant and God puts some special covering over you. No, the, there's an understood you there. You be sober. You be vigilant. You have to decide that you will not let the cares of this life distract you from your purpose. Another time, Jesus, or Peter rather, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. <laughs> I love Jesus' response. Come. I don't know how long it took Peter to muster up the courage, but he eventually, okay. (laughs) I don't know if he took two steps or five steps, but at some point he takes his eyes off Jesus and he noticed the wind and the waves boisterous and that's when he sank. Can I tell you, if you're going to take your eyes off Jesus, that's when you're going to sink. Lot's wife looked back distracted by what she was leaving behind rather than heeding what was ahead for her in God's word. Can I tell you, I don't miss what I left behind. I don't miss the sin and the heartache and all the consequences that went with my decisions of my past. I'm grateful to not look back. Thank you, Jesus. You brought me out of that. It's interesting that in the context in which Luke says, remember Lot's wife, uh, by the way, if you want to get into Bible quizzing, that would be an easy verse to memorize, Luke 17, 32. I don't know if that's one of the verses this year or ever will be, but if, if the verses were that easier, Pastor Lucas, I might be a good Bible quizzer. Amen. Uh, remember Lot's wife. Boom. Ha. There. You just learned a verse. You memorize it. Another one, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Hallelujah. There's two verses you've just memorized tonight and five words total. Anyway. All joking aside, in the sense where he says, remember Lot's wife, in the next verse he says, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. He's, the, the dots are connected now. Wow. She wanted more of her past than what God had for her for her future. Remember Lot's wife. My first responsibility to you as a pastor and a bishop is to do my best to make sure each of you make it to heaven. Would you agree, Pastor Gus, that that's probably my, my number one priority? Beyond anything else, any other expectation, to make sure that the saints of God, that he has, he has asked me to serve as an under-shepherd, that you get to heaven. 
Well, there's a second reality to that, and that's this. My second responsibility is to make sure that you live the best you can now until you get to heaven. Here's the problem. Some pastors and churches have that backwards. They want you to live your best life now. And heaven becomes less preached about, less taught about, and even less sung about. Listen, I'm thankful for every blessing I have on this earth. I really am. I'm grateful. God is good. And he's good all the time. But my best life is not here and now. Mm -mm. My best life is yet to come in eternity. Uh Yes. I cannot become distracted by the cares of this life. Remember in, in the parable Jesus said of the, the four types of ground, one of them, the, the thorns, that grows up and chokes, and he compared that to the cares. I don't want the cares of life choking out any seed that God has in me. Hey, I love having a good time. I love vacations. I love all that goes with that. We are physical beings, and it's okay to enjoy life. We've got Christmas coming. Amen. It's okay to enjoy time with your family, and that's wonderful, and that's great, and and please do it. Amen. But let's also keep our eyes focused on a greater reality that is yet to come. Amen. I can't become distracted by anything this earth has to offer. Even God's grace and blessings while we're here. So the second thing we do is in verse 9. 1 Peter 5, verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So this second point point is kind of where uh, my title even emerged from. We need to resist steadfastly. You see, born-again believers, the response that we have to the satanic opposition is not panic, it's not fear, it's firm resistance. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. It's, it's the three Hebrew boys. Go ahead and turn up the heat, king. We don't need a second chance. We're not careful to answer you. We're not bowing to your idols. You see, it's coming down to the fact of these are the core values. This is what I'm going to stand on. This is the hill I'll defend and die on if necessary. That's what it's saying. I'm resisting it steadfast in the faith. Amen. To resist means to withstand or to stand up against. It's a term of defending something victoriously. Again, we could, we could use various uh, 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 examples from maybe various battles, and maybe you've read or heard some, but, you know, guard this hill, protect this line. One, one thing I remember uh, from studying history, and we actually went to, to Gettysburg, was, was um, the, the, uh, the colonel from Maine that, that was put in charge of the 20th Maine Regiment was told, he said, that at Gettysburg, they said, at Little Round Top, guard this line. Hold it to the end. And when he got that report from his superior officer, he's like, the end of what? The end of our ammunition? The, the end of the last man? And 
and, and it turned out that they ran out of ammunition and, and they're still being attacked and he ordered them to fix bayonets and charge down the hill as the enemy was charging up and they secured and kept that hill. Statisticians have proven that that effort saved the war and turned the tide of, of the war towards the north away from the south. My point is this, that's what firm steadfastly resisting firm in the faith is all about. It's saying, this is the hill. This is the place. And if I die here, I die trying. Amen. Now, we know, again, biblically, that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection won the decisive victory in the war against the power of darkness. We just sang it this Sunday. He's never lost a battle. So here's what's cool about that. What we're firmly resisting and standing against the enemy, we are guaranteed the win. Now, some people think that sports is rigged. There are conspiracy theories out there. I've seen them all. You know, I've even seen this thing recently that the colors in the Super Bowl scheme are somehow the NFL saying who's going to wind up being in the Super Bowl. Okay, well... If it is, it is. If it ain't, it ain't. I don't really care. But can you imagine? We all have heard about those people who threw a game for money, who threw a fight for money, we, right? We've all heard about that, so we know that sort of thing exists. But do you realize that the fight that we're fighting is already fixed? I mean, just go to the back of the book. We win, Satan loses. So, so what God is asking you to, to stand up for and firmly resist, your promised victory. That alone should encourage us to say, you know what? Since I'm promised victory anyway, I'm going to stand here. That's why the Bible says, having done all, to stand therefore. Sometimes we've just got to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You've probably heard this phrase, don't just stand there, do something. <laughs> well, what about this one? Don't do something, just stand there. <laughs> I don't have to fight necessarily. The fight's fixed. Amen. Because of the cross, I'm promised victory. It, now, this does not mean that we just get automatic immunity to the influence of Satan, we still have to be sober. We still have to be vigilant. Thus, we have to resist him steadfast in the faith. Otherwise, these verses would make no sense. To resist the devil effectively, we then draw from, I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. And think about this. In order to resist him, we must be standing Firm in the faith. This means to know what we believe and why we believe it. Coming to you to a pulpit in January and February, I'm going to be talking about the fundamentals of our faith and reaffirming them, not just telling you what, but why. Amen. Peter's first epistle is filled, it overflows with reminders of the firmness of our faith as born-again believers. We see in the very first chapter, in the second verse, that we're chosen by God, the elect of God, that we're given a new 
hope, verse 3, a living hope, that we're provided an inheritance, verse 4. These are all in the first chapter. And and that God shields us by his power in verse 5. In chapter 2, verse 9, we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. God calls us his holy people, set apart for his purpose, his royal priesthood. So we have all of that with us that should include or infuse our faith to stand fast. Regardless of the personal suffering that we deal with, we must join those who also across the world are suffering as Christians and stand united in an active resistance to the assaults of the devil. The last part of 1 Peter 5.9 refers to those who are suffering afflictions. And so we stand fast, we resist steadfastly because of these that are suffering. You know what that means to me? It means you're not alone. I don't want anybody to raise your hand, please. But I'm sure if we were to go around the room, probably all of us, could say, yeah, there's been times I felt like I was the only one. You see, Satan wants to isolate. He wants to get you alone and convince you that you're the only one suffering. But don't fall for his lies. The church needs you, and you need the church. James wrote this about resisting Satan in James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submission to God, coupled with resisting the devil, keeps him away. So stay t- submitted to God. Surround yourself with those that believe likewise and stand strong for God. Several years ago, a man reported his observations of the effects of a hurricane uh, of the southeastern Gulf Coast town and As he walked up and down the ravaged streets, he observed that the palm trees, some of them had been uprooted and flung about. Once tall and majestic, their root systems were too shallow to withstand the hurricane force winds. But as he proceeded, he came upon a lone oak tree. Leaves had been blown away and some of the smaller branches ripped off, but the roots had gone deep and the tree held its position firmly resisting. And in due season, it would once again produce trees. And so it is with us. If we are to endure in times of great stress and difficulty, we must be deeply rooted in the truth of God's word. You know, to be compared to trees is not coincidental. Did you know in Psalm chapter one, we're compared to trees? Listen to what it says, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall also not wither. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. Boy, I want to be that guy. But he's not the only one. Jeremiah also says it. Chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads her roots out by the river and shall not see uh, when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and she shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I want to be that person. 
And I have a promise that if I trust him, hope in him, born again, rooted in him, it'll happen. So I think we should strive to be like that. But also, I think we should strive to be like the redwood trees. Anybody ever been to California? I know they're mostly in California. But everybody seen the redwood trees? Anybody? Yeah? A few of you? Yeah? Got some hands raised? Yeah? I've only seen pictures. I can't wait to see them in person. These redwood trees create strength to withstand powerful winds and floods, extending their roots outward, sometimes up to 100 feet wide from the trunk. And, and, and they live in groves where the roots can intertwine with one another. They also grow to be some of the tallest trees on the earth because of this. This phenomena helps redwoods to literally hold each other up because they grow close together. They also can share nutrients because their roots are intertwined, thus maintaining good health. Can I tell you that we need each other? And when we're intertwined together, not because we vote for the same party, not because we're the same ethnicity, but because we're born-again believers that are rooted deeply in our faith in God. Uh, doesn't the Bible say, uh, let's see, let me see if I get it right. Uh, weep with those that weep, rejoice with them that rejoice, right? Because we're together. They say a rising tide lifts all ships. Well, could it be that a growing Christian intertwined with others helps others to grow? Hmm. You see, your testimony encourages me to endure. My testimony helps you to grow because together we are better. I want you to do me a favor. Just those of you here tonight in person, look around the sanctuary for a minute. Just go ahead and turn left, turn right, look up front, look out back. Just, just look around. Okay? Everybody, everybody got a few people you've seen and looked at? Okay, yeah, amen. Oh, I didn't know they were here. Hey, good to see you. <laughs> yeah, watch this. Did you know that you just looked at some people that have been through the fight? You just, you just saw some people that have endured faithfully. You just saw some former prodigals tonight that have found their way home. Some of you looked at people that have dealt with abuse and neglect, and man, they're persevering. You just looked around at some people that have gone through some financial hardship in life, and man, they're still serving God and still giving Him tithes. You've seen some people tonight who've suffered through divorce. There's also some you saw tonight that live for God faithfully their whole lives. But you know what connects us all together? The grace and mercy of God. And when I hear your testimony, and I see you living for God despite what the enemy has done to make you fall, I am encouraged to continue steadfastly. You need the church, and the church needs you. Now, do me a favor. Turn to somebody close to you and make it personal and say this. Ready? And, and email, I'll use you, okay? I need you, and you need me, and we are better together.
Yeah. Do you believe that? I hope you're not just saying it because I told you to. I hope you really believe. Amen. The Bible tells us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, Ephesians 4.3. It, it means we need to grow and serve and connect and lead together. We need to pray and worship together. We need to endure faithfully together. We need to prepare ourselves to one day be caught up together. I don't find a whole lot of alone in that. I know there's times where we go to our prayer closet alone. I know there's trials we sometimes face alone. I get all that. But we're together. We're meant to be together. We're meant to serve together. Amen. We need each other. Praise God. Verses 10 and 11 reveals the rewards that God gives to overcomers. <laughs> but the God of all grace who has called us into His eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered a little while, make you perfect and establish and strengthen and settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Peter is concluding this part of his first epistle with a powerful statement of the gracious and restoring power of God. He repeats a promise that he said back in chapter 1 verse 6, offering in a capsule statement a picture of his life by borrowing from some similar language of what he's gone through in his past. His own restoration from pain and failure puts credibility behind the promise that we see in verse 10. This is more than just a hope. God didn't say, I hope you get it, or you might get it, or may you get it. No, this is an absolute assertion of what God will do. He will restore. He will repair what is damaged. And so the believer can face up to whatever lies ahead, knowing that that's who I was yesterday. But He picked me up, and He restored me, and He made me new, and I'm on my way to something better. Failure in your past does not doom a person to failure in the future. I feel the Holy Ghost. I come against that spirit that says if my daddy was an alcoholic, I'll be one too. No, sir. No, ma'am. You can be a new creature in Christ Jesus. He makes all things new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Restore here also. And Pastor Jeremy, I found this uh, neat after we had our uh, connection uh, today. I, I found this neat. Restore has a medical sense to it in this verse, of actually a, 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 the setting of a broken bone. I'm like, wow. God, God takes what was broken and resets it. Ah, oh. How many of you understand the, the need for that? Because if you don't reset it, it it'll grow in a, in a deformed sense or may not grow back or, or be healthy or could cause other things. But, but if it's reset properly, then health is restored. It also carries with it the sense of repairing and refitting something like a boat. Watch this. <laughs> Peter the denier <laughs> becomes Peter of Pentecost. You know what I love about God? He denies Jesus three times. Jesus even asked him three times. I don't think there's a connection necessarily because Jesus was not vindictive. I don't think he was asking three times to make Peter feel ashamed. That's not God. It's just an interesting coincidence that he asked him three times. But Sister Jackie, you know what he didn't say? Give me the keys. Sorry. 
I'm giving them to John. You had your chance. I'm so glad God does that. I'm so glad God says, I know you're going to mess up, but I also know you're going to come out of it. You see, the word strengthen really stood out to me in this verse. And here's why. The Greek word, maybe you've seen this, um, uh, Englishman's Concordance, anybody ever seen one of those online or in person? You, it shows you the Greek word, but it shows you every place it's used. Well, I found something interesting that the word strengthen here in 1 Peter uh, 5 verse 10 is also recorded in another place related to Simon. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and, 20, and, and uh, 32, Jesus said this, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. That word strengthen is the same word that Peter uses of what God's promise, his assertion, I will strengthen you. It's also a prophetic fulfillment for Peter. He told it. I'm experiencing it. But notice this. He didn't say, if you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Even though he said, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. You're going to deny me. You're also going to come out of it when you are converted. I prophesy to your future right now. You may have denied Jesus yesterday, but you're about to partake of Pentecost today. You may have denied Him, but Jesus hasn't or won't take the keys from you. You have a destiny to fulfill, and God will strengthen you for it. Hence, the appropriate response to the restorative power of the strengthening God that we serve is to celebrate Him. To Him be glory and dominion forever. And how else do you end that part of the verse? He's restored me. He brought me out. He picked me up. He let me keep the keys. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What an amazing God. I love the testimonies that we have. But Terry, I'm reminded of the time you came. I think you were sitting over here on that front section there. And it was the second service you were here because you came to a rally service thing. You came back that Sunday. And Sister Kiara, I think we were singing uh, uh, Nothing Too Dirty, uh, Clean. And uh, you, were, you were weeping. Remember that? Because, because of what God's done for you. The restorative power of God saying, oh, I know that this was what you were here, but I saw you here. I'm so thankful that He can do the impossible. You see, God speaks to you from your future, declaring your destiny. So heed His call. You are strengthened to endure faithfully and steadfastly, thereby successfully resisting the devil. Let me just real quickly run through those four things. I, I hit on strengthen, but he said make you perfect. This means to make you complete. To make you what you ought to be. To fully restore. Hallelujah. Establish means to be confirmed by the word of God for the ministry he's called you to. To render you 
constant. Oh, I once was wavy and I once was unsettled, but now I'm constant. Oh, hallelujah. He will strengthen you. Again, it, it actually literally means to make your soul strong. I'm glad that we serve a God that can get to the depth. His word, amen, Hebrews 4.12, it's that sword that can get in to discern thoughts and intents, that it can get to the very core of who I am and strengthen me and then settle to make you stable, firmly grounded in the faith. God wants us to be settled and strengthened so that we will be steadfast. God wants you to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And that's coming from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Satan, on the other hand, wants you to shipwreck your faith. 1 Timothy 1.19. I've been saying this throughout the, especially the last few weeks from this 1 Peter series. Eternal life, eternal damnation. You know. hmm. Settling me, strengthening me, shipwreck. Um, I think I'm going to choose this. In other words, I got a lot of good reasons why I need to steadfastly resist the enemy. Why I need to tell this flesh, you will pray. You will fast. You will. Right? Remember the preacher one time that got up and he said, well, I need to make a confession. He says, when I was a kid, I was drugged. My parents drugged me to the altar. <laughs> Amen. Well, sometimes we need to drag our flesh to the altar. You will pray, so help me. <laughs> right? You know, actually, that's what fasting does. Let me just say this real quick, because we're getting ready to go into this media fast and I know some have asked about food fasting as well. It doesn't twist God's arm. Not one bit. God is God, period. Now, I think our fasting and prayer can move the heart of God. But it doesn't twist His arm. Okay? Here's what fasting does, coupled with prayer. It aligns us with God's will. It tells this flesh, you're not in charge, God is. So when you say no to food or no to media or both, you're saying, God's in charge, not my flesh. And by doing that, by removing that distraction, you now open yourself up to be more connected to God. Let me tell you the benefit of why it's going to be good for us to have a media fast. Whenever that's filling our hearts and minds, that's noise. There's noise right now. These lights make a little bit of noise. I'm speaking, right? But we need to get to the place where the noise is removed so that we can be more in tune with the Spirit of God. Sister Nancy and I were talking tonight before service and she mentioned something about, you know, uh, listening to the voice of God and how to discern that and how to know that and shared some personal things. But uh, later she was praying and she sent a text and, and I loved what she said uh, in that text. I just, I just want to read it. I hope this is okay, Sister Nancy. 
Amen. Let's see if I can find it here real quick. I got a lot of text a while ago. Hallelujah. Let's see. Where are you? Oh, my goodness. Okay, let me just search for your name. I thought it was in the top there. Can you send it to me again real quick? I'm sorry, folks. Um, wow. Okay. This is not the blue screen of death. There it is. So she kind of answered part of her own question. She said, how does a lamb learn the voice of the shepherd? By spending time in his presence. And so what fasting will do, food and this media fast especially, will get us to the place where when we read this, it's not just, check, I read my Bible today. But because we pushed away food, pushed away media, hmm, I'm now more connected. I know his voice more. Something happened a couple years ago that, that began to change how I looked at studying the Bible. For the longest time, I studied the Bible to get a message to preach. Now I study the Bible to hear his voice. I got so many unpreached sermon seeds. I've already written one book. I could probably write ten more. I'm not saying to boast. I'm just saying, you know, a lot of times it's just God speaking to Myron. It doesn't come across this pulpit because I want to be in tune with him. Well, I share all that to say this. One more scripture I want to give you, and we're going to wrap up. I'm, I'm approaching the end of my time here. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. If you're born again of the water and spirit in the name of Jesus, then you are an overcomer. I open this message tonight by asking or, or assuming you want to overcome. Well, if you're not born again, if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name or filled with his spirit, you need to be too, so tonight because... Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Let's stand together. Jesus, I pray this word would sink into our hearts tonight. That we would hear it, receive it, believe it, and obey it. That we would not delay, but we would repent and be baptized and filled with your spirit. And that we would continue to die daily, living for you steadfastly resisting the enemy that wants so bad to destroy our lives. God, we give you the glory and the honor. We give you the praise in your matchless name. And we thank you for who you are. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be dismissed and deployed.